Welcome to The Well Podcast. We pray that this message ministers to you and blesses you as you listen. I love to hear the, which is, I should feel ashamed to even say this, but I love to hear all the pages turn it. Here I am, I got it all electronically. Swish, swish, right? Yeah. All right, Matthew chapter 13, starting verse number 10. His disciples came and asked him, why do you use parables when you talk to the people? And he replied, and this is Jesus' reply. He says to his disciples, you are permitted permitted to understand the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but others are not. To those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given, and they will have an abundance of knowledge. But for those who are not listening, even what little understanding they have will be taken away from them. And this is why I use parables. For they look and don't really see, and they hear, but they don't really listen or understand. Drop down to verse 16. But blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. I tell you the truth. Many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but they didn't see it. And they long to hear what you hear, but didn't hear it. So in this few verses here, what I find interesting in this is that we have a separation of two people. Those who can hear and see and those who cannot. And as I read through this, it really gripped me like, I want to be in the camp that can hear and see. And I got to thinking, well, well, what's the difference here? And if you look at the people just by themselves, if you look at the disciples, they came from the same company of people that are now surrounding them. These are the people of Jerusalem. This, the, these are their, their fellow uh, workers, the, the fellow fishermen and the carpenters and the tradesmen and all that who have come out of the city, who have gathered around Jesus and the disciples here. Uh, we find them on the, on the edge of a lake. And you look at it and you go, well, what separated the disciples? And they're really, they're, there's nothing. There's nothing about their history. There's nothing about their training. There's nothing really special about the disciples except that they were called to walk with Jesus. They're some of the same fishermen and tradesmen. They have the same education. And probably if you look across the crowds that have gathered, they probably have less education. They're less skilled than some that are, might be there. So, so what makes the difference? What makes the difference in those that are blessed to be able to see and hear and those who cannot? And so I found four things as I was looking at this. And of course, the context here is that you have this one group that's close to Jesus, that lives with Jesus, that travels with Jesus, and then you have all of the others that have come from the surrounding areas. And the difference is those who are with him know Jesus. Those who are coming know about Jesus. You see, the the people in the crowd know about this man who does miracles. They they know about this man who who speaks eloquently, who who can challenge them, who, who when people have got in his presence, they are stirred. And they've heard these stories and they come to hear what Jesus is going to say. But if you look at the disciples, they were the ones that camped with Jesus. They're the ones that know whether Jesus snored at night or not. And undoubtedly, I'm sure he did. And you know, just a, just a funny aside, but you know, um, and I'm going to tell him Becky a little bit, but Becky is a dreamer. And, um, and it's not unusual for her to be dreaming and in the midst of her dream be talking. And there's times when, when I'll wake up in the morning or late at night or whatever, and, and I can't, it's not clear enough that I understand what she says. But she's over there, she's having a conversation or something. All I'm hearing is the mumbling, you know. But, um, but she's having a conversation, something's going on. And so we've had on a number of occasions asked her, what kind of dream were you having last night, you know. 
But see, the disciples were in a position where they would know whether Jesus dreams at night, whether he speaks in his sleep, right? They, they knew his habit. They knew that he got up early before the break of the day, and he would go off by himself and pray. And these people that gathered around didn't know that. You see, they, they knew his reputation, but they didn't know the man. And so that's the first thing that, that really separates them, is, is that those who are closest to Jesus are the ones that were permitted to hear. And so there is an intimacy and a closeness that we have to have, even today, for us to hear. Now, if you think about salvation, that we ask Jesus to come and live in our hearts, right? That's what we typically say. There is a closeness and an intimacy there. And so I would say that, that, that as we go through salvation, we invite Jesus to come and be the Lord of our life, to come and live in our hearts, to invite that Holy Spirit into, into our midst, where we can begin to develop that, that close and intimate relationship. Undoubtedly, you've probably heard of, of great theologians, people who have studied the Bible, they know the history, they can, they can quote you know, certain sections and they know all about it and they can tell you right where the archaeology is and they can tell you the, the elements of things that are found. And yet if you talk to them, there's no spirit, there's no life within them. See, they know of the scriptures but they don't have the intimacy of the scriptures. They don't, they don't have the, the Jesus in the scriptures. Jesus is, is an, a figure, much like Moses or Nero or, or whatever. He's just a historical figure. And if we treat him that way, when we dive into the scriptures and we look at what this love letter contains, if we don't really know Jesus, then it's, it's just words on a page. And you can imagine standing there listening to Jesus share some of these parables. And he says, if you plant it in this ground, this happens. If you plant it in this ground, this happens. Those of you who have ears, listen and understand. And if I'm in the crowd and I don't know Jesus and I don't know that he's talking about kingdom principles and, and, and that mystery hasn't been revealed to me, I, I'm going to be in the crowd going, is, or, is he a farmer? thought he was a carpenter. What does he know about farming? Right? Because none of it makes sense. There was a mystery in the Bible that, that Jesus is revealing kingdom principles through these parables. And it is not until we can grasp what he's doing. And in this case, the disciples were right there. And in fact, I would say that the disciples, even at this point, didn't really understand. Because what do we see Jesus do? Why do you, why do you share in parables? He says, so the prophecy can be fulfilled. So having ears, they don't hear, eyes, they don't see. But here, let me explain the parable to you. You see, they didn't, they didn't have that internal witness. They didn't quite understand the kingdom principles, and Jesus had to verbally tell them. And so there was a closeness to Jesus. There was a communication with Jesus that the disciples had in those days that allowed them to get a greater uh, a meaning behind the words that Jesus was sharing, that others weren't permitted to hear. And again, I'll take you back to the, to the scene we're looking at. Jesus went down to the shore, and the, and, the, and the crowds followed him down to the shore, and he's like, no, there's, there's too many people. I need to move to a different place. And so Jesus moves out onto the boat, and it says he sat on the boat. Now, I'm trying to picture this. I'm trying to picture how he's sitting on the boat. The disciples presumably are in the boat, I don't know, or they're surrounding it, holding onto the boat, trying to steady it for him. But either way, Jesus is sitting, and all the people have gathered, and they're standing around. And it's such a neat picture. It's neat enough because um, uh, one of the one of the the great commentators uh, of of the scriptures, you might know him. His name is Charles Spurgeon. Said that he said that if if the preacher would sit and the people would stand, we would have more alert and awake people in church. <laughs> But it's interesting that Jesus is sitting and he's speaking from this boat. And the disciples are close enough where they can ask him questions and he'll respond to those questions. But he's not sharing that with everyone. And so there's a closeness that you have to have to Jesus. And that intimate personal relationship that you have with Jesus is going to unlock some of these mysteries and understanding. And it's going to allow us to have ears that hear and eyes that see.
And so the, the second thing I found in this, and that is, is maybe the most obvious one in the Scripture, is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Because in that, if you think about the, the moment we'll transition from here into the upper room. And if you think about what's happening here, Jesus is having to tell them verbally, out loud, physically tell them, here's what it means. But if you look at what happens in the upper room when they were in one mind, one accord, and, and the flame that once guided the wilderness, guided the Israelites through the wilderness, separates and touches everyone there, and they all have this tongue of fire that rests on their head and that is imparted into them. And you look at what happens the next day, suddenly, they're, they're, that suddenly they have power that they didn't have before. Suddenly they have understanding they didn't have before. And they went out on the streets and spoke in all these different languages. And they didn't just, just timidly speak. Because if, if you look at the, the behavior of, of the disciples up to this point, they, they really didn't understand until the Holy Spirit came. Because the disciples stood with Jesus and they, they heard from Jesus. And Jesus taught them much like I'm, I'm trying to teach here today. But, but they still didn't quite understand. And you can go all the way up to the Last Supper and Jesus is talking about things to come. And they're like, no, Lord, we won't let that happen. We won't let them come and take you. We won't let you go and suffer and die. And they didn't understand it. And then as the events unfold and Jesus is arrested, you still had the, the disciples trying to fight all of this, trying to fight the will of God. And, and instead of understanding and receiving what's happening, and seeing how the kingdom is unfolding before them. They're, they're intimidated by the moment. The enemy has come in and, 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 and they grab Jesus and the disciples scattered. And so they didn't fully grasp what was happening. And then they watched him over the next few days get beaten and go to the cross and be crucified and die, and get buried. And if you look at their actions in those days, they are devastated. They're devastated. They go into hiding. They don't know if, if other people are going to come after them. But then three days later, we have Resurrection Sunday, and Jesus begins to come back, and hope suddenly comes alive again. And even the doubters, think about doubting Thomas. Even he is brought in and he goes, no, here, touch the wound. Look at the holes in my hands. And yet still they struggle to understand. And Jesus tells them to go and wait. And a gift will be sent. And they will be, uh, and I'll mess this word up, endued, imbued, one of them. They'll receive power. When the comforter comes, when the advocate comes. And he's like, it's good that I go away. And they're like, no, it's not. <laughs> we went through that. It's three days. It's terrible. No, stay, right? And they still struggle to understand. And then we have the day of Pentecost. And everything changes. The Holy Spirit becomes a witness within them. And they suddenly now have all of these powers to go and speak to people in different languages. And how the crowds look at them and go, aren't these the ones from Galilee? Aren't these the uneducated, poor fishermen who can't even speak Hebrew well? I don't know what they would have been speaking. Right? Isn't this that same group? And now they're speaking, who knows, Chinese, whatever? What What happened? Where did all this come from? And if you look at them, they go on the streets, and, and I'm thinking about the, um, I think it was Paul, and they, they go up to the gate beautiful, and the, the man who was crippled from birth is there, and, and he's begging for alms, which he's done for years and years. And they go to him and they go, we, we don't have any, any gold or silver to give you, but what we have... <laughs> The Lord told us to give it away. And they take his hand, rise, and walk. And now that we see the flow of the Holy Spirit going through them. We see that they understand their position in the kingdom. They understand that they have power and authority that Jesus gave to them through the Holy Spirit. So the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives 
gives us understanding. As it moves through us, as we yield to it, as it, as it comes in and quickens our thoughts and it stirs our hearts, that gives us the, 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 the power and the witness within us from heaven. And so the second thing that we find is, is that in order to be able to hear and understand, in order to, to, to be able to see and understand, we have to have the presence of the Holy Spirit working within us. So we have to have an intimate relationship with Christ and we have to be filled with the Spirit. And so there's two more. Those two are big. Those two are, 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 are large ones. And those are ones that give us the ability. And some of you might say, well, you know, I, I've been saved a long time. Me and Jesus, we've been walking a long time. And, and I know the Holy Spirit works through me and this is where I'm at, y'all. I, I, have, I have these Moments in my life where the Holy Spirit like moves and I'm like, yes. And then I go through this long dry spout where I'm like, hello, still here. And then it's punctuated by this great move of the Holy Spirit and it just quickens me and moves me, right? And just in my walk, I don't want to have this long spell. I don't want to have this this peak over here where I have this fantastic encounter and it's amazing and all that kind of stuff. And then I have to go through this valley where, where I feel lonely and, and low. I, I want to be able to, to have that experience and move to the next experience and do the next. And I just want to live on that elevated platform where the Holy Spirit is moving constantly, where, where I have, have allowed myself and opened myself to the Spirit and, and, I, and I have the, the knowledge and understanding where I can move in every circumstance. And I don't have all the answers, but, but I, I have an idea. And the scriptures give us an idea. So the first two give us ability. The first two give us ability. The first two get us in the game, if you will. They get us on the field of life. They get us into the kingdom uh, uh, what do you call it, like the roster, the roster, the kingdom roster. We now got our uniform on, and we're, we're ready. We're ready to go out into the game of life and to, to be a part of the kingdom, whether we're, you know, a, a blocker or whether we're a receiver or whatever, whatever position we might take on the field, right? We're equipped. We got our uniform on. We're good. And so we have the ability now to get on the field. But these next two I want to give, you, give us the proficiency to perform well on the field. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, starting in verse 6. How many of y'all want to be on the field and do well? Come on. It ought, it ought to be the cry of our hearts. We, we ought to be petitioning heaven daily for, for an outpouring of his spirit, to walk greater along that path that he has for us, not just traveling along, not, not, not just a you know, a bystander just watching life happen around us, but we ought to be asking heaven, well, how can I be the greatest tool in your hand? How can I pour my life out so that you can use me to just, like a net, just gather in other men around you? So first... Corinthians chapter 2, starting in verse 6, and this is Paul talking. And he says, Yet when I'm among mature believers, I don't speak with words of wisdom, but not the kind of, I, I, I do speak with words of wisdom, but not the kind of wisdom that belongs to this world or to the rulers of this world who are soon forgotten. No, the wisdom we speak is of the mystery of God, his plan that was previously hidden. How many of y'all want the plan that was previously hidden, the kingdom plan revealed in your life. Amen? So even though he made it for our ultimate glory, who is our in that? Is it your glory? No, it's kingdom glory. When he says our, that's the family of God. That's the kingdom of God. You see, you see all of these mysteries of heaven, the mystery of God that was planned previously is to bring glory to the kingdom of heaven. But the rulers of this world have not understood it. 
If they had, they would not have crucified our glorious Lord. That is what the scriptures say when they, when they say, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. And so what are the two things here that give us some proficiency? Well, the first one is spiritual maturity. There, there, this implies, if it doesn't just explicitly state, that there, there is a maturing process we go through as Christians. There is a maturing process we go through from the time that we receive the Holy Spirit to the time that we are active and mature in the Holy Spirit. Hebrews 5, verses 12 through 14 puts it this way. He says, You are like babies who need milk, critical of those who are immature and cannot eat solid food. For someone who lives on milk is still an infant and doesn't know how to do what is right. Solid food is for those who are mature, who through training have the skill to recognize the difference between right and wrong. So spiritual maturity comes from time and experience. If you look at the word training, training can be, can be broken down into time plus obedience plus experience, and that equals skill. You think about any craftsman. You think about someone who, who, who is a, craft, uh, um, a carpenter, a woodworker, right? I can go and make you a table, but, but I have not had the training. Don't laugh at me. I mean, you can laugh at me. I'm, I'm cool with that. But I haven't spent the time in the wood shop. I haven't spent hours honing my craft. I haven't spent hours uh, carving the wood, being able to read the grain, being able to look at the different types of wood and understand how they're going to behave when the tools are applied. And I don't, I don't have the obedience to, to look at it and know, right? I'm clumsy when I start. I mean, I, I've, got a, I've got a bench in my, in my mudroom that, that's um, unfinished after like three years. If you want a table, just give me some time. It might take a while. Hope you don't need it anytime soon. But that, that, that time and obedience and experience. You know, even, even the best carpenter, even the best craftsman, even the best machinist, the, the best uh, office worker, the best financial accountant, the best whatever, was not the best when they started, unless they were the first. I guess the best astronaut was probably the first astronaut, okay? He was competing with monkeys. You know, the competition really wasn't there. It's true. <laughs> Come on, y'all laugh a little. But for us to, to be spiritually mature, it takes time. It takes time for us to tune our spiritual ears into the spiritual voice from the Holy Spirit. And it takes time for us to be obedient to that voice. And even when we're obedient to that voice, did we handle it well? Right? I, I, I can look... Um, and, and this is happening to me right now, y'all, and, and um, I'm getting better, but I'm not, I hadn't arrived. If y'all have arrived, great, y'all can teach us later. Um, but, but I literally, I'll get dressed in the morning, and I, I've got my nightstand, it's got my wallet, my keys, and all that stuff in it. And I will go over there, and I'll get my wallet, I need that, definitely, you know, I don't want to get pulled over or whatever without that, right? Um, and I'll grab my, my car keys, I'm taking that, that car today, because um, it's working, it's not broke like some of the others. Um, and... And then, and then I look in there, and, and I, this has happened. It's a true story. I look in there, and I go, okay, well, I, I need, you know, my, my office key or whatever, right? i got to take my badge to work so I can get in the door, even though I don't want to. But anyway, um, and then I look in there, and there's, there's my knife. And I'll, I'll get that little sensation, like, take your knife. And I'll be like, what do you need to take my knife for? And so I'll, I'll debate in that moment. Ken knows what I'm talking about. Y'all know what I'm talking about. But I'll, I'll debate in that moment, what do I need my knife for? Five hours later, <laughs> I'm at work, right, and, and, and I get a call, and, hey, can you come to the back dock? You know, we got a package here, we need to look at it, whatever. Okay, yeah, I'll be right there. Go to the back dock, and it's like, oh, what do we need to do? We need to open this figure this out, you know? And I'll, and I'll go, well, you got a knife. <laughs> I was going to bring mine, but I argued with the Holy Spirit and said I didn't need it. Now, I'll tell you another story that, that happened. And Kim and Brian, thank you for living so close. 
Um, there, was, there was one day I went through the same thing. I opened the drawer, I got my stuff out, you know, didn't need my knife that day, but my church keys were sitting in there. And I thought, uh, I'm not really, no, I, I won't need those, right? Had that quickening, you need your keys. I'm like, oh, I'm not, not going, you know? So I, I didn't take them. Never mind, the day goes on, something happens, get to work, get here, right? Not thinking, right? All right, Becky, see you later. See you at home. Finish what I'm doing, walk out the door. I don't have a key to lock the door. Hey, Brian, if you get this message, uh, I was trying to, trying to get a key. I'm going to try to call Kim. Hey, Kim. Yeah, I, I called Brian. He didn't answer. Yeah, do, do y'all have, can I, can I come up and borrow a key? I forgot mine. Okay, great, thanks. Right? And, and so, you know, that's just one of those things, and, that, and that's just those little things. I mean, that's the little things that, that matter little. What, what is the Spirit telling us that matters a lot? Are we obedient when he puts someone on our heart to call them right away? And if some of you have done that, you probably have the similar story where you've called and someone goes, that word is just what I needed. Thank you for calling. It meant so much to me today. But, but do we have that obedience? Do we, do we have that experience where the Holy Spirit can speak to us and give us that gentle nudge and we go, okay, got it. I'm going to move with it. Right? Do, we, do we have that obedience where we, we're going to follow that up with action? Right? Or, or do we go about our day and then go, oh, I was going to bring my knife, but um, thank you, Lord. I, I'll, I will do better. I'll listen better next time, right? And it's not the listening. It's the obedience. It's the willingness to follow through with it sometimes. So how do you know when you're, when you're mature? It's when the Holy Spirit speaks and you act. That much spiritual maturity brings obedience. Maybe said another way, obedience to the Holy Spirit brings maturity. And sometimes that's, that's tough. It's tough to know exactly what he's saying, right? Sometimes, you know, I, I know I'll, I'll get a vision. Sometimes it doesn't make any sense. And you have to pray about, okay, what am I supposed to do with that? And I still have stuff in my journal that I've, that I've kept that I don't, I don't know what it's for. I don't know what it means. And, and six months later, something else happened, and, and it'll come back to your memory like that, and you go, oh, let me go look at that. I need to, I need to rewind and catch back up and find out what, what there's, there's, there's two of those moments now that somehow connect, right? But obedience, the biggest obedience, or, or the biggest challenge to obedience is pride. The biggest challenge to obedience is pride. What do I mean by that? When the Lord asks you to pick up the phone and call someone, you go, oh, well, I don't want to bother them. You know, maybe not right now. I've got more important things to do. Right? I can't interrupt what I'm doing right now for the call of God who's trying to get me to move and be a tool and instrument in his hands. And I don't say that to condemn anyone. I, I just, I say that to challenge you is that when, when the Lord moves on your heart, there, there is a window of opportunity, right? The Lord opens up a door. We talk about doors of blessing opening up for us. And he's going to leave that open door there for you to walk through and to be a blessing, to receive a blessing through it. But there is a time when that door is going to close. It is not an eternal door. You know, God has this whole timeline that, that he is working together. And so there's, there's opportunity, but it takes that, that willingness and obedience to move in the moment, to capitalize on this God appointment that he has set up, that, that he wants to, to not only let you be a blessing to someone, but wants to bless you in the moment. So spiritual maturity requires obedience. And spiritual maturity also comes with a discerning in the atmosphere, a discerning between right and wrong, because sometimes we can be deceived in our eyes. We can look at something and say, oh, that, that seems right. It seems right in man's eyes, right? But something just doesn't agree with me. 
If you've ever had a decision that you were looking to the Lord and you were looking for the leading of the Lord and you just couldn't get settled with it, I believe that's the Holy Spirit that's just churning in our bellies that's saying, please hear me. Please hear me that this is not what you want. I'll let you have it. And I'll let you walk through that. But please understand that, that this is disturbing. This is unsettling to the Spirit. And so we have to have that maturity to, to listen and to receive all those, all those uh, signs and all of that, that word from the Holy Spirit and be willing to act on it. All right, and then the last one was kind of subtle. It's on the very last verse in that same scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. And it's at the very end where he says, this is what it means when the scriptures say, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. What does it mean to love the Lord? What does it really mean to love him? In Mark chapter 12, verse 29, he puts it this way. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, and all of your strength. I think Becky said it earlier. He's not looking for anything. He's looking for everything. And so what is it to really love the Lord? You know, I I think about um, someone saying I'm filled with the Spirit. And and I got to thinking, like, like what does that really mean to be filled with the Spirit? Right? I can go fill my gas tank up, and I know what that means. Right? But if if I put half a tank of diesel in it and half a tank of gasoline in it, it's probably not going to run real well, right? I know what it's like to be full at the table. But if, if it's from a box of Oreos, that's going to have a little bit different effect on me than if I'm eating broccoli. And so just because you're full and you feel full doesn't mean that you're full of the right things. Because the challenge for us in, in today's world is to put off the world. The world and God's kingdom are diametrically opposed. You can't have the world and have the kingdom at the same time. And so there is a process of rejecting the world, of laying all those things down that makes room for the spirit within you. And if I'm just open and transparent and honest this morning, this is been a challenging area for me. Because, you know, when we were, we were called to start the well, we had just had the best year of our little farm business that we had ever had. And we, we, we looked at that and we looked what God was calling us to and we knew that we couldn't do them both. And so we said, okay, all right, for a season, while we're getting this kicked off, we'll, we'll just turn that switch off. And so all, all of the dreams, all of the vision, all of the desire we had to build this little farm that, that when we found it and, and we committed to, to buying it and that kind of stuff, it was on our heart to bless others with it. I mean, we, we went into it going, Lord, this is, this is yours. We are going to make this a place where families can come, where they can get out of the city, where, where we can share the gospel with people, that, that we can go to the market and, and share a little sunshine with them from these flowers, and at the same time share a little bit of the sun with them with our voices. And all of that just, we had to hit the pause button on. And so here we are almost three years later, two and a half years later. And I have to go and look at Job, to be honest. Because, you know, Job had this season where every desire he had, his family, his living, everything he had just came to a screeching stop. And he lost everything. And yet he maintained that God was good. And it wasn't easy, and it's not easy on me now. I walk out into that field of weeds, 
And I walk out to where I, I parked the cedar. I don't know, I guess I moved it probably last year. But I parked it out there in the field last year. A cedar that I had desire to, to get in and sandblast the whole thing and repaint it and put new decals on it and get it all fixed up and beautiful. And it sits out in the weather. It's just slowly decaying out there, which is all good farm implements do. And, and I look at that, and I look at this field, and I think about all of those dreams and desires and things that I had. And it, it, it's, it's painful. It's painful. It's painful to, to know that all that has to be put on hold because you are called to a different assignment. You were called in, in this season to, to go into a, a, another, um, another objective, right? It's no longer about, about growing things in the field to bless people with. But the assignment now is growing people in this field to bless the world with. And it doesn't all make sense, and it, and it, and it you know, we... I went through part of the field, and I, and I just put the disc down, and I just turned over the stuff, just mixing in some of the, the scrap from last year and some of the, the grass and the weeds and that kind of stuff. And in doing that, you know what happened? These few little sunflower seeds got scattered out there. They were from last year. And so right now in the field, all these little, little yellow heads are looking up and smiling at me. And it's, it's bittersweet. It's bittersweet. Because, you know, I'm just a kid at heart, and I love playing in the dirt, and I don't know that I was very good at it, but uh, I love getting out there and getting dirty. Um, but I know the assignment and the call on my life right now is in a different place. And yes, it still stings to have to lay something down, but I have to think about Job and how all of that is restored, and how how even those little things that sting today that I've had to, to lay down and I'm still having to lay down, I'm still having to lay down that, that jealousy, if you will, in my heart over the time spent on one thing or another and not being able to get out there and play in the dirt. But I know that God has a, a greater call. There, there is a harvest that needs more attention than the, the flowers in the field. There, there are people and lives that are hinging on the work that we're doing here who, who, who need some amount of, of, of help and guidance and wisdom to get them into the place where they can rest under the shower of righteousness that's being poured out from heaven onto their dry and weary souls that will refresh them and renew them, that will grow them, that will cause them to be fruitful in new seasons. But it's hard to lay that down. And so the question is for you, do you really love God? Is he first in your life? Does he occupy every thought? I can't help but think about when, when Becky and I were dating, and I'm sure other people probably have this too, uh, Rich and Cindy, for one. Um, is that I remember when I was, when, when Becky and I first met, um, and, I, and I won't, yeah, there's so many details that come back when you start thinking about that. Um, but when we first met, it was like every day I went through what I had to to get to that moment where I could go see her, right, or go call her or whatever. And, and I was planning like all day long, like, okay, when I get off, I can stop by the florist and get that, that flower, and then I'll have to swing by there and get the chocolate, and then I'll, you know, drop it on, whatever, right? And I think about that infatuation I had in that moment of how, how, how I hung on every moment we, we had together, whether we were, were, were talking or just staring at each other and smiling. Um, and I remember smiling till my face hurt. And I still love her. She's awesome. We've lived a lot of life together. Um, and truthfully, seeing Cindy and Rich and the pictures and their family and everything yesterday as they renewed their vows, 
um, really, really touched my heart. Uh, what a beautiful thing. What a blessing it is. Um, and, and, and I think you'll say this. Marriage is not always easy, but it's always worth it. But, but I think about those times when I was just infatuated with Becky. When my, my, my every thought was on her, you know? It's like two plus two is Becky, right? <laughs> no, wait, erase that. Four, four. I got to get this math test right out of the way, right? And I think about our love for the Lord, and, and do we get infatuated with the Lord? Is, does he occupy every moment? Does, do we live with him throughout every moment in our life? Do we approach every day with him first? And I can tell you, I don't. Sometimes the alarm goes off, and it's just like, okay, I got to get dressed, got to get shower, got to, you know, right? And, and, and all the activities and all the tasks come to mind. And at some point during the day, I'll go, okay, oh, hey, Lord, yeah. Good morning. Meant to say hi to you earlier, but I, you know, I got busy. My head was elsewhere. And so is God really the highest priority in your life? Is he the one that you love, that you long for? And so our ability to, to hear and see and understand, and I'm closing here, is going to be hinged on these four things. One, do we have an intimate, personal relationship with Christ? Do you know him? Are you close to him? Have you spent time with him? Right, and then number two is the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Is that spirit, that gentle spirit from heaven living inside of you that is nudging you and, and pushing you and bringing words and, and knowledge to you? Is that living inside of you? Are you listening for it? Do you know his voice? And then if you haven't grown and if you're still a spiritual babe, and you're still um, surviving on spiritual milk, there is a need for you to be mature. There is a need for you to, to grow up and be mature. Because as in life, we, we can't teach a baby complicated things. Babies get taught simple things. But it's through that experience of growth that the baby grows and understanding grows. And as maturity comes and they, they begin to, to really understand. And so there's a need in like fashion for us to, to, to grow from spiritual babes into a, a spiritual maturity. Because God's desire is to reveal the mysteries of his kingdom. He wants to reveal what no eye has seen and no ear has heard. This is what he wants for us. And that no mind has imagined. What God has prepared for those who love him. So we have to be spiritually mature. And the last one is that we have to love God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our strength. We've got to make God number one in our lives. We've got to reject the world, reject the busyness, reject the values of the world, and let God be our number one. And in doing that, and in doing that, he has ordered our steps. He has a plan laid out before us. And actually, I like that scripture, Jeremiah 29, 11. He says, for I know the plans, plural, that I have for you. Because depending on how you do at this juncture, this uh, uh, why in the road, depending on what your decision is here, the Lord's already planned for you to go this way or to go that way. And I believe he knows every step that we're going to take. And it's out of his grace and out of his mercy that he brings us to these decision points, that, that we can choose in the moment, that if we will quicken our heart, enlarge our understanding, if we'll be spiritually mature and sensitive to his spirit, that we can shortcut some of those challenges in life, that, that we can go into new areas where, where, where we can be a, a greater asset to the kingdom than if we maybe choose the, the easy path.
And sometimes that's, that's not an obvious choice. Sometimes it, it'll cause us to stop and to pray. Two thousand. 11, 2011, worked for Whirlpool down in Cleveland, Tennessee, just north of Chattanooga. And they came into our group and said, we're moving these roles up to Michigan. So we had a choice to make. Do I stay there and get a new job? Or do I move and get a new job? Because it really was. It was a new job either way. So the question really came down to, do we stay, do we go? And I can tell you that Becky and I went into fervent prayer on this. We just followed the leading of the Lord and, you know, Whirlpool, you know, big company, lots of benefits. They brought us up. They, they toured us around. We looked at things. We looked at schools. We, you know, did that kind of thing to kind of get a feel for the area and that kind of thing. And, of course, Chattanooga we knew. Cleveland we knew. We'd been there for 16 years. And so we had to go to the Lord and said, Lord, this is a big decision. Oh, we don't want to get it wrong. And at some level, I believe that regardless of that choice, regardless of which path we would have chosen at that Y in the road, at that moment of decision, I believe the Lord would have blessed us either way. But we went and we sought the Lord in prayer. And we sought him for an answer. And let me just tell you that there was an ease and a comfort of making the decision to come up here. There's a lot of uncertainty. A lot of uncertainty. In Chattanooga, it it snows like twice a decade. And there's a lot of hills and up and down. and that Y'all wouldn't be able to drive in Tennessee with, with snow on the road, okay? I'm just saying that. Flat roads around here, it's a little easier to navigate. But we never lived in that kind of climate. L- let alone an average of like six or eight feet of snow a year. But you know, we looked at it, and there was an ease about making that decision to come up here. And we said, okay, Lord, we're up for the adventure. And he hadn't unfolded everything that was going to happen to us. All we did was stand at that point of decision and say, Lord, lead us. And then we follow. And we followed him into an unfamiliar area where, practically speaking, we were all alone. Now we moved into a neighborhood, made some friends pretty quickly, made some acquaintances pretty quickly, I should say, maybe. But we just followed in obedience. In hindsight, being what it is, that marked the beginning of an equipping season in my life that I, with absolute certainty, would not have had an opportunity to do in Tennessee. It also required Becky to lay down a lot of stuff that she was carrying in in Tennessee that she would have excelled at. But it's that obedience and the willingness to follow the Lord that allows a new season to open up. It allows new opportunities to come. It was, it was one of those doors I referred to that opened that we could walk through that would never have presented itself again. And so there, there is a need for us to be open to the Spirit. And even when it doesn't make sense to our eyes, even when we can look at it and go, why would we leave everything familiar? Why would we leave, leave all of the friends and the extended family that we had, had surrounded ourselves with and had grown and, and loved in those, in those seasons to move up to a new land? And I can't help but think now as we stand here today that it was because there was a catalyst that was needed to kick something off here. And all of you are now a part of that. All of you are part of the plan that the Lord is unfolding in this area today. All of you have a role and responsibility to take and run with that. All of you have purpose in your life. All of you have a mission to be on. 
So have that intimate personal relationship with the Lord. Seek the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Draw close to him. Get familiar with him. Uh, Listen to that little voice that tells you to pick up your keys. They're not that heavy. Don't argue with him. Just do it. I'm sorry, I was talking to myself, y'all. Seek spiritual maturity. Seek spiritual maturity. When he says, call someone, call someone. When he says, go a different way home, go a different way home. There's something he wants you to see or someone needs to see you. And grow your love for the Lord. Lay aside the world. If he is challenging you to let something go and you are feeling the struggle in your spirit and you are are struggling with that, just press into him all the more. Don't, Don't let a door of opportunity, a door of blessing, a door of destiny close on you because you're unwilling to let something go. You know, I'm reminded there's a meme of this little girl that stands before Jesus and she has this little bitty teddy bear. And Jesus has his hand out like, let me have it. And of course, she is, she's holding on to that thing tight. She's holding on to that thing tight. Because that's, that's her favorite little teddy bear or rabbit or whatever it is. But what she can't see is that over behind Jesus' back, he has one that's like five times as big. He has got more for her than what she understands. And all he's looking for is that willingness to let go. All all he's looking for is, is, is will, will you let it go so that I can bless you with greater? We want to thank you for listening in today. At The Will, we believe in cultivating a culture for more of God. Wherever you are in your relationship and walk with God, we believe that there is always more for those who diligently seek after Him. If you would like to find out more, please check out our website at thewellmichigan.com connect with us on social media.